Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by finding us and listening in. We pray this sermon stirs up your love for Jesus and grows you in your faith. But before we begin, we ask that you not let this podcast, or any podcast for that matter, replace the local church in your life. You need to be a member of a local congregation and under the shepherding of that flock's pastor. So please become part of a local church if you aren't currently. If you'd like more information about our church, please go to www.mountzionchula.org. Enjoy our podcast. Well, good evening, brothers and sisters. This is uh, truly a blessing for me to be here with you tonight. I'm so thankful for the fellowship that we have in the gospel. I'm I'm thankful for the work that you guys are doing here. I'm thankful for Aaron's friendship, and uh, God has blessed us to, to work together. We uh, serve on a team together with the Mel Association, and I just had opportunity to get to know each other and, and pray for each other and, and to encourage and support each other. Um, uh, you probably know this, but I just want to encourage you to be an encouragement to your pastor. I didn't start, I didn't start in the ministry till I was a little later than some guys get started. I was close to 30 before I ever preached my first sermon and felt like God was calling me into the ministry. And something else coincided with that. I had never experienced depression before I entered the ministry. And, and uh, this is a heavy calling that God has given his men. And I so appreciate him. And um, as he said, my name's Matt Strevel. Um, I am 46 years old. I am the husband to Carrie Strevel. I am uh, sad to say my, my family is not able to be here with me tonight. Um, Carrie and I have been married for 26, going on 27 years. We have five, count them, five children, three grown daughters who are like within five years of each other. So um, I was telling uh, uh, Gwen and Leon back there, I'm the only person I know so far. Um, God blessed me to marry off all three of my daughters within a six-month period during the coronavirus. So that's the next, this is not a halo, this is a bald head. So that's where that came from. Um, I was actually a city of Atlanta police officer for 10 years before God finally brought me home to, the, to God's country down here in Tifton. And uh, so we've been in Tifton for the past 15, 16 years, and this feels like home uh, to us. We love this area. And I, almost, I think in another five years, I might not be considered a Yankee anymore. Maybe, just maybe. <laughs> but... Um, you know, you didn't come here tonight to hear about Matt Strevel. We've come here tonight to hear about a much better man, the true and better man, Jesus. And we want to turn to his word. So if you have a copy of his scriptures, uh, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. I want to pick up the very last verse of Genesis chapter 2, and we'll read some down into chapter 3. So this is Genesis 2, verse 25. Here we read, And the man and his wife 
were both naked and were not ashamed. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was also to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of our God. I'd like to bring a message to you entitled, Come Out, Come Out, Wherever You Are. Come Out, Come Out wherever you are. But before we do, I'd like to pray and ask God's help as we open his word together. So Father, we thank you for this privilege of being gathered together as your people tonight, at your feet, around your throne. Lord, we are your children. We are the sheep of your pastor. Father, we come to you not in our own worthiness, but Father, we, we, Christ is the solid rock that we just plead with you, Father, on the basis of his worthiness that you would be pleased to feed us from your word for our good and for the glory of your name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In a childlike way, I had a pretty similar experience to Adam and Eve when I was eight years old. Only it wasn't God I was running from. When I was eight, uh, there was this 10-year-old girl who would sometimes visit our neighbors and my little young eyes, she was pretty, and I developed, how would you say it, a, a crush on her. I feel kind of dumb even saying an eight-year-old having a crush on anybody, but um, somehow I let it out that uh, my feelings for her, and, and um, when she came to visit the next time, they told her, and I found out she knew, and I was terrified, so, so it was this, just the, a nightmare for an eight-year-old. Suddenly, this girl's coming, and the, all the kids in the neighborhood with her, and so I took off and I literally ran in the woods, but I couldn't outrun the whole neighborhood. So I just wound up kind of crouching down and burying my eyes there in the old pine straw. Um, It's something very interesting because every single one of us, every single one of us have a deep down longing 
to be known as we truly are. But at the same time, we have a, a deep-seated fear in our souls of being truly exposed and, and everyone being actually able to see and know us. Can you imagine the fear of every thought you've ever had, every, every feeling you've ever held, had just being publicly displayed for the eyes of the world to watch. 36 years later, and I'm a little more sophisticated with controlling the information about myself that I let others see. We work hard to control the image that others have of us. And, and why do we have such a deep fear of being truly known? I think it's because we're afraid that if people truly know us, we won't be accepted. And this is what I want to do tonight as we think about what it means to, to stop running from the presence of the Lord, to stop running in fear, to, to come out from behind the trees and, and allow God to know us and to be, to be known. There's three things from this text I want to look at. Number one, the problem of sin. Number two, the problem of our solution. And number three, the proper clothing. So number one, the problem of sin, um, as, as we look at the story of Paradise Lost, it's just creepy, isn't it, to see Satan slithering into this garden that God planted. And it's almost as if just he slithers up next to Eve, and here they are at this tree that Eve is claiming God said, don't even touch, even though that's not what he said. He said, don't eat from it. And do you, do you notice how Satan begins to tempt Eve? How does he do it? Satan begins to try to cause her to question God's word. Did God actually say? No, that's not what God meant. God knows that the day that you eat of this fruit, you're going to be like God. You're, you're going to be able to decide for yourself right and wrong. You'll have the prerogatives of God. That's why God's trying to keep something good for you. And brothers and sisters, do you understand that Satan is still at work using these same lies today? The message in our culture constantly saying, did God actually say that homosexuality is a sin? Did God actually say that he is the author of life and the determiner of a person's gender? Did God actually say that sex outside of marriage is a sin? It's the same lies. It's the same tactics. And you understand we, we need something of uh, a concept of the, of the seriousness of, of sin entering the world. Sometimes we... We tend to, because each one of us are sinners, each one of us struggle with our own sins, it's very easy for us to sort of minimize our concept of sin. And instead of being an offense against God, uh, sin is this, this thing that has brought a curse. There is not a square inch of creation that is not affected by the curse of sin. Uh, you know, you ever tell a child, little Johnny, I don't want you to sneak a cookie out of the cookie jar. 
Little Johnny disobeys his mama, and we almost kind of think it's cute. God said God had one command. Like Eve, you just had one job. One little bite of that piece of fruit. And this one little bitty sin that we would sort of, on our little scale, consider something small, not that big a deal, do you realize that that is the window through which all death and alienation from God and curse every case of cancer, every baby that's died in infancy, every marriage that's been broken, every person who has been um, murdered or died at a young age, all of the sorrow, all of the pain, all of the heartache that has entered into the world came through the window of this first sin that Adam and Eve committed. You know, what makes sin so serious? Well, let me try to give you an example. You know, let's say you got two little five-year-olds. Is there a playground out here on the churchyard? You got two little five-year-olds playing on the churchyard, and one of them spits on the other's face. What's going to happen? Well, little Johnny probably should get a spanking for spitting on someone, but, you know, that is what it is. Now, what would happen if... uh, Two strangers meet each other in the Walmart parking lot down in Tifton, and one of them spits in the other's face. He's liable, one of them's liable to go to jail, aren't they? Right? Now, now, what would happen if the president is in the Oval Office and a protester tries to rush in there and spit in the face of the president while he's sitting at his desk? Well, if the, if the Secret Service doesn't fill him full of holes, They're going to put him under a jail somewhere, right? Why is the offense so much greater, you know, the higher up the chain you go, right? Eh, You know, it's serious, but yeah, get a spanking for little Johnny. A full-grown man might go to jail for doing this, but if you do this against someone with a dignity in a high position like the president, you see, the higher the dignity or the position of the person the greater the offense of the act against them. So what happens when you spit in the face of an infinitely holy God? And do you realize that every sin that you and I have ever committed is essentially spitting in the face of God? And every sin we've ever committed, even the little ones, could be a window into a whole world of pain and sorrow and suffering, just like Eve's was. Sin is not a little inconvenience in our lives. You see Eve taking a little bite of fruit in Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 4, that little bitty transgression has grown into murder. One of her sons murdering the other one. Well, sin causes this, 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 the the, the results of sin, the effects of sin has, has fractured 
everything in, uh, under all creation. Uh, have you ever seen a mirror that was like, it didn't, all the pieces didn't fall out, but it's like the whole thing is fractured. Like there's not a square inch that's not like a spider web of cracks all throughout it. And, and that's something like what sin has done. It's, it's affected every different uh, sphere of our lives. And you think about it, sin alienates us from God. Right? We're separated from God because of sin. We are uh, alienated from each other, right? What, right? They were alienated from God when they sinned, and, and God comes, and God says, Adam, what is this you've done? And he starts pointing the finger at Eve, right? We have, not only are we at, at war with God, we have conflict with each other. Are any of you farmers here? What, we're even alienated. From the natural creation, God says, because of the curse of sin, it's going to be by the sweat of your brow and thorns and thistles, pigweed and the tractor. You're going to have to be fixing it all the time. Like every time you have to run the pivot too long during the summer because there's not enough rain. It's the effects of sin. And do you know that we're even alienated from ourselves. Have you ever struggled with any kind of insecurity? Have you ever second-guessed yourself? You know, I read about this thing. Have you ever heard of this thing called the imposter syndrome? I hadn't either until a couple years ago, so, and I came across this by accident, but the imposter syndrome is this, um, it's, it's a sort of like a complex where uh, you, you, a person feel no matter how well or successful they are in life, but, but in, deep inside they feel like a phony. They feel like they don't measure up, and, and there's this impending sense. They always feel like they're, they're just around the corner from being found out, from being exposed. Uh, you, you're afraid you're going to be found as a fraud, that you, that you don't belong. How many psychological disorders are there in the world today? You know, all the different types of dysphoria, we should not be surprised as believers because we understand why. Uh, all the types of, you know, dysphoria, these big, big psychological words everybody has now, of, of whatever it is, we don't feel comfortable in our own skin because of the shame. Because of the, the guilt that sin has brought. This is a little bit about the problem of sin. I want to talk to you for, for just a minute about number two. The problem with our solution to it. The problem with our solution to sin. What did Adam and Eve do? R right oh, what the moment they ate the fruit. They what? They, what? they became what? Afraid. Suddenly their eyes are open. They realize they're naked. So for the first time, they experienced uh, guilt and shame. And there's nothing to cover them. So what do they do? They begin to try to sew together fig leaves to cover themselves up. Um, and you, you, know, you realize the, the psychological trauma. Uh, of the shame they were experiencing, of the guilt they were, they couldn't bear it. 
So they, 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 it's the works of their hands trying to cover up, trying to fix the problem. And you know something? Um, we still do this today, right? We, we, we all do this in, in, in uh, lots of different ways, and I, there's no way I could cover them all tonight. But, but have you ever thought? I think that um, we each one have uh, pretty impressive marketing departments in our lives. We try to really control the information that, that gets out about us. Uh, we want to project uh, uh, a certain image because... Because deep down, we're, we're afraid of people seeing our warts. Deep down, we're afraid of people seeing our insufficiencies. We're, we're terrified that, that if people uh, knew us as we really are, we, we've, got this, we've got this longing. We, we're created for intimate fellowship. We're created to be accepted and to be walking with God in close communion. We were created to belong, and yet since sin has alienated us, there's this, there's this sense of, of fear and, and terror that if anybody could really see the real me, then they would run away and have nothing to do with me. So just the thought of living an open and honest and vulnerable life is sometimes more than we can bear. So as a husband and a father, you know, I really try to, to shape the way people think of me as a husband and father. And I, you know, I, I let all the good information, all the good things I've done as a husband and father out there. I mean, how many of you are on Facebook? Like, there's two extremes on Facebook. People either only put all the good stuff about their life, or some people, I don't know what it is, but they just, all they put is a bunch of trash. It shouldn't be on there anyway, you know, I, what the deal is. But, you know... That the, the studies show that social media causes uh, so much anxiety and, and depression in people because here you are, you're looking at people's lives and uh, we market ourselves and we make it look like we've got it all together. And meanwhile, you're, sitting, you're looking at all these people, man, Joe's got it together, Susie's got it together, you know, my neighbor down the street has it together, and look at me. I, I, my life's a wreck. I'm struggling with this, I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with thoughts of suicide. Right? Um, I'm, a, I'm a manager. At, um, I've, I've been a bivocational pastor. I've only ever been a bivocational pastor. I'm, I'm a manager at Turner's Furniture. And of the guys who work for me, I, I really try to, um, to create a culture of grace as a means of people coming to see and, 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 and know Christ. But... Um, what I, I try to tell people, you know, when I have an employee that messes up really bad, when you mess up really bad at work, what do you do? If you can, you try to cover it up. You, you don't want people to know you messed up. You don't want to be caught. Uh, you know, you did something wrong. You, and, and it may be you don't want to uh, receive the consequences of it, but we also don't want to have other people to have the opinion of us that we're not good at our job, so we'll, we'll try to cover it up. And if you work for someone, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to, you're, uh, you're constantly afraid that you're going to be found, that you're not living up to the responsibilities that you've been called to do, and you try to display your strengths and hide your weaknesses. 
Now, you know something. As Christians, you think this wouldn't be a problem for us. But it is. We struggle with this too as Christians. You'd, you'd think that since we know that we've been saved by grace, that we would be able to live in, this, in, this, in a culture of grace where we're in the church of Christ. It's, it's okay to be open and honest and vulnerable and, and to be who you really are and not have to, not have to pretend. You'd, you would think you wouldn't have to come to church or be in community with other believers and have to cover yourself up with fig leaves because you're, you're terrified of, of the pastor or brother and sister or the deacons or, or whoever, the Sunday school teacher, really knowing what's really going on, the things you're really struggling with. Right? We're Christians. The old things have passed away and Oh, everything's become new, right? And yet, if you're a Christian here tonight, I, I mean, if you're really a Christian, you know. There's two things you know. Number one, the Holy Spirit has begun a good work in you. But you know what else we all know? He ain't nowhere close to being finished, Right? Now, there's a, there's a preacher named Vody Bachum at that point. He would say, if you can't say amen, you need to say ouch, right? The reality is we have not been perfected. You and I still live in this already but not yet period of time where God is working in us. He's making us more like Jesus. The process of sanctification, that process of growing in holiness, growing in the moral likeness of Jesus. It's not completed yet. There's two big problems I see with the fig leaves that we try to sow and cover our, the real us up. Number one, it's exhausting it just, it doesn't work. It's exhausting. And, and this is why sometimes I think in my own life and, and, and many of the believers I love and, and, and serve and have been exposed to for the past 40 years in the church is that a lot of times it feels like the Christian life isn't working. Even after you know you've been saved by grace, we can revert back to this fig leaf operation, right? I know I've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, but... I messed up. Let's, let's go back and try the fig leaves again. It's exhausting. And it doesn't work. But you know the main problem with our fig leaves? The main problem with pretending like you're something you're not or trying to gloss over or put a veneer over the real you is God sees right through it. Hebrews 4.13 says there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Jesus sees right through the fig leaves. Note, I'm going to give you a little confession before I close on my last point, but I love being a pastor. I love preaching the word. I love um, being a shepherd. 
of God's sheep. And, but you know what? Here's the thing. God, God has a way of humbling his men. And I, can I be honest with you for just a minute? I love to preach. And man, when I preach a sermon, I, I feel like I'm a batter. And I want to hit every sermon. I want it to be a grand slam. Like there's something inside of me that, that I, every sermon I preach, I want it to be like the last sermon that is so good. Every one could be the last one that ever needed to be preached. But, but you know something? I have never stepped down out of a pulpit and, 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 and there's this overwhelming sense of man I hope God bless that because it's going to really take him I, but here's the thing in the twistedness like in the twistedness of, of my heart as a pastor and I think we can do this as Christians is I want sometimes I can want to be thought of as a really good pastor more than I just even want to be actually a really good pastor. Does that make sense? Am I connecting with what I'm saying right now? Like, like, like in my heart, the, the deepest need is not to be a good pastor, but to be thought of as one, right? So even in a heart of a believer who you, you love Jesus, you want to serve Jesus, you want to worship Jesus, but our best motives and our best efforts the best works of our hands are still mixed with weakness and the remaining sin that every Christian continues to struggle with and a lot of times Christians never grow a lot of times churches never grow or never get past I'm going to say it and I I don't know much about you guys, so if this hits home, then it's the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, I love, I told you I love living down here, but you know what I discovered about living in the deeper south? I thought I was in the deep south, but apparently Atlanta's not. But when, when I moved down here, you know what I realized? There is this veneer of southern hospitality that's about this deep. But we keep it there to kind of protect ourselves from really, and I see this in churches all the time, we keep this here to protect ourselves from people getting to the real us and us really experiencing the freedom of the gospel and, and the freedom of, of you know, the, the problem of sin. The problem of sin in the life of a believer, we all struggle with remaining sin, but the problem is if we cover it up, keeping it hidden is the very thing that continues to give it power. James, how, how infrequently do we experience victory over Long struggling, uh, long periods of time struggling with sin because we don't practice James 5.16. We need to confess our sins to one another and be healed. Well, I've talked to you about, number one, the problem of sin, and number two, the problem of our solution. Fig leaves don't work. The works of our hands to conceal 
our sin does not work because God sees right through it and it just wears us out. I want to talk to you now about number three, the proper clothing. The proper clothing. Um, people tend to think about wrongly, think of the God of the Old Testament as being austere and wrathful and, you know, violent and mean. And you tend to think, we, some people tend to think of the God of the New Testament being kind and approachable and, and forgiving. But, but, you know, here in Genesis chapter 3, God extends an incredible act of mercy to Adam and Eve. When God came, he could have poured out his justice on them. And he would have been righteous to do it. But he didn't come in justice. He did not overlook their sin. Like, God is going to have to deal with sin. No sin in the universe will ever get swept under the rug with God. Right? All sin will either be dealt with by God in eternity through eternal punishment. Or it was reckoned with for the people of God by God at the cross. No sin gets swept under the rug. There's no, there, in one sense, I know there are sins with different degrees of consequences, and maybe even sins with different degrees of punishment, but there's no sin that will ever be swept under the rug. God comes, and, and instead of bringing judgment, he brings mercy. And do you remember what God did to fix the problem of their sin to fix the problem of their fig leaves. There had to be a sacrifice. God kills the first animal or animals, sheds their blood, and takes their skins, and God makes garments to cover the shame of Adam and Eve's nakedness. And do you know, my brothers and sisters, what that was foreshadowing? Do you understand that God the Son came down from his throne on high into the old, have you ever heard this? The old-timey preachers I grew up here, and when I was a little boy, would say, he came down to this low ground of sin and sorrow. He took upon him the form of a servant, and he became obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. Do you realize what happened to Jesus at the cross? Our Jesus was stripped naked, and the shame and the guilt of his people was placed upon him. And there at the cross, those hours, the sun refused to shine because God the Father in his holiness poured out his, the judgment you and I deserved onto his son at the cross. I was sharing the gospel with a young man yesterday evening uh, who was struggling to understand it and struggling to, to accept it. And, and I said, can you imagine? Can you imagine a meteor 
going a million miles an hour towards planet Earth. And I mean, this is going to be the one that ends it all. This flaming ball of rock and burning gas. And the minute it hits Earth, it's going to, everything is like nuclear holocaust worldwide. And it's God's judgment coming in justice for the sins that you and I have committed. And here we are. Here we are. There's nothing between us but, but this meteor, this, this judgment of God that's coming and is going to just cast us into eternal destruction. But there you see, in between that meteor and us, is the cross of Jesus Christ. And the wrath that we deserved fell on him. And for those who are in Christ, not a drop of God's wrath touches our lives. Jesus was stripped naked and suffered the punishment that was due our guilt so that you and I could be clothed with the clothes of a fitting sacrifice. Jesus died to give us the robe of his righteousness. And I have such good news for you tonight. Whether this is your first time ever hearing the gospel or if you have heard this message a thousand times, for the person who is in Christ, for the person who is sitting here tonight relying on what the Lord Jesus has done. You stand before God and God stands at the eternal bars of justice and he looks at you. If you are in Christ, here's what he says. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Or my daughter. It's amazing. Whoever you are, whatever's going on in your life, we can all come out from hiding behind the trees. We can stop trying to make fig leaves. Like I told you, it's exhausting and it doesn't work. You know, if, if, if the Holy Spirit would allow us to, to grasp this and rest in the truth of this, do you realize, you and I, we do not ever, not in church, not in work, not in our families. We don't have to pretend like we're anything we're not. Do you understand that Jesus does not love and he did not die for some false version of a you that you wish existed? Does that make sense? Jesus didn't die for some version of you you wished you were. He died for the real you. And he sees it all. Your best marketing campaigns cannot shield from his eyes every wart, every imperfection, every sinful motive, every thought you've ever had that does not honor him and glorify him. And he loves you, knowing you all the way down to the core of your being. He loves you.
have you allowed Jesus to unwrap? I mean, I'm sure you're nice people, but the fig leaves that you and I make for ourselves are pretty pathetic. Have you allowed him to unwrap these pathetic fig leaves? And have you, by faith, allowed him to clothe you in his righteousness? Do you realize what freedom this would be if we could get this and that the penny would drop all the way down? And, you know, as, as churches, we, we, we believe that salvation is by grace, right? We love grace. We love the concept of grace. But, you know, it's, it's such a difficult thing for there to exist a real culture of grace. In a culture like ours with that veneer of southern hospitality, we're real nice, but we don't let anybody get too deep to see the real us. So we sometimes have very little progress in our spiritual lives. Very, a, a lot of frustration because it feels like our... Christian lives aren't working because we, we revert, we, we, we sometimes we think that, sometimes we, we Christianize, we, we spiritualize. Uh, you can take your good works. Now, they're good works. They're, they're great. But they don't clothe you in Christ's righteousness, you say. Oh, that God would so radically open our eyes to the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of his grace that you and I would have the freedom to come out from where we're hiding to allow him to undress us out of the shambles of our fig leaves and to be clothed with his grace and his righteousness would you let me pray father we thank you for the truth and the beauty of your gospel Father, this is unparalleled and undeserved favor that you have given us. And, and Lord, every one of us here, um, every one of us here who knows you, Lord, we struggle with sin. We revert back to works righteousness so much of the time. We struggle to live in the acceptance as your children that you have um, so richly given us in our identity in Christ. But Lord, I just pray that increasingly, as your children, Father, we could live openly and vulnerably. And I, I pray here at Mount Zion Church that, Father, you would continue to grow a culture of grace where no one has to come and pretend and perform and, and act like there's some different person than the one that Jesus died for, but Father, I pray that here there would be even, Father, a great revival, a move of your Holy Spirit, stripping away the fig leaves, granting us security and acceptance in your gospel. Forgive us for the many, many times, Lord. I know I pray on my own behalf. And Lord, I'm certain for all of us, forgive us for the many times even after we've known grace when we revert back to trying fig leaves. Thank you, in the name of Jesus, amen.